welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to the Jeff Macalino Podcast. Got a doozy for you today with John Stewart. Um, not the Daily Show, John Stewart. This is John Stewart. He's a former professional wrestler. Uh, he's run for a couple of political offices in Illinois, including governor of Illinois. Uh, we talk about his wrestling career. He has a couple stories, uh, including one with the Iron Sheik at, uh, near the end of the episode. Very uh, cool insight into some of the professional wrestling stuff. Uh, we talk a little bit about running for office, and uh, we also had a, a pretty interesting story uh, there as well. And then uh, we most most of the podcast, I would say, we dive into his five-year investigation uh, that conclusively proved the government's alien interview program. Uh, I will probably have clips of this on YouTube, probably a big one from the alien. I definitely will have one uh, that you may have already seen uh, with the Iron Sheik's story. Um, but this was a, this was a really uh, entertaining one uh, for me. And John's a, John's got, I mean, I, I feel like we barely brushed the surface with uh, what we could talk about. Uh, and maybe uh, we might speak again in the future, um, you know, when we, I'm, I'm intrigued and in how, uh, you know, he hasn't, uh, we talk about he, he's planning a documentary, but has not shot a scene for it yet. So that's obviously down the road. Um, good episode. Um, you know what also is good? It's Flaviar. Flaviar is the club you'll be telling all your friends about. Taste exciting craft and premium spirits, access exclusive drinks, and learn the ways of a true whiskey aficionado. All of a sudden, you'll find yourselves with a personal home bar with the best of bourbon, scotch, rum, gin, or tequila, and heaps of story to, stories to tell. Use the link in the show notes below so they know I sent you, and you get a discount for being the listener of the Jeff Macalino podcast. Also, make sure you check out their Valentine's Day specials. I got an email that they have some subscriber Valentine's Day deals or something like that. Go to their website. Use the link below so you save a little bit of money and they know that I sent you. Speaking of I sent you, how about Ibotta? Ibotta is the cash <laughs> That was a stretch. <laughs> it's a cashback shopping app that earns a cashback on, on purchases. Uh, of things you're already going to buy. It's accepted at thousands of retailers across the country. It's so easy. Even a Jeff Macalino can use it. Use the link below to make sure you get the introductory offer. All you have to do is register, sign up, and start making money back. Uh, basically, you take a picture of your receipt. You know, it, it's super easy. Again, I could figure it out. Uh, and and legitimately, I have made... Uh, you know, tank tank of gas worth of money back from just buying stuff I was already gonna buy. Got a dollar for buying strawberries, uh, you know, for my kids. Dollar back. I was already gonna buy them strawberries. Thanks for the buck. You know, nowadays it's like less than a third of a tank of gas. But what are you gonna do? 
Uh, use the link below, blah, 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 so you get the offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ibotta, Flaviar. Back to John Stewart. This is a great interview. Um, you can see the YouTube clip uh, has uh, some of the video of the alien. You can go, obviously, his links are going to be in the show notes. Uh, you can check out a little bit more. Some interesting stuff, um, and I'm certainly not in a position... I'll say this up front. Usually I wait till the postscript. I'm not in a position to disagree or disprove a single word that he said. He's uh, put years of research into this. Um, he, you know, I, I certainly believe that there are aliens out there, and I certainly believe aliens are and have interacted with the planet previously. And I think that with no investigation into it, just kind of, I don't know, thinking, uh, but he has done an incredible amount of research, and we talk a lot about that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's me and John Stewart. All right, everybody. I am very pleased to welcome John Stewart to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, John? I'm doing well. How are you, pal? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, I'm Good. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I'm 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 trying to uh, d delay. Well, this is going to sound weird. Delay gratification by by not diving right on in to uh, to the to the juicy subject. And you know what what I want to talk to you about the most probably right, from our sure. from our pre discussions. But uh, as my wife as my wife said to me, Jeff, does this guy know what he's getting in for having you on his show? I'm like, well, we'll see. <laughs> oh, I I promise. Uh, I I promise. If you if you look back at some of the guests I've had on, um, oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You you you're you're gonna seem like uh, you know everything you talk about is gonna be like oh yeah that, right that's normal yeah. uh, <laughs> before... like a My Little Pony cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it, we've gone some weird places. Um, before okay, we go there. I yeah. do. I, I, I'd be remiss at not talking a little bit just about you and your background. Um, yeah. You really, I mean, I know professionally you got started as a professional wrestler. You did that for quite some time. Um, right. What? Uh, how long was that? Well, I uh, I was a, a high school, uh, pretty good high school football player in 1985, and uh, I took uh, an invited walk on. Uh, offer to Memphis State, now the University of Memphis, which is really nice because all of my Memphis State paraphernalia is no longer relative because the name changed. Only guy that's been to five colleges, three of them changed their name. One went out of business. So <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so and I and I took that uh, I took that invited walk on, which means you don't have a high enough GPA, but we want you to come down here sophomore year if you can if you have a two, five or better, you're going to get a scholarship. And I went down there because I knew I heard that wrestling was very popular in Memphis and that there was a wrestling school. I heard this from someone and back in 85 pro wrestling and people might not believe this with, you know, the tough enough competitions and all the school pro wrestling was the mafia. You had to worm, wiggle, finagle your way into the business just to talk to somebody. And then once you talk to somebody, you spent days, weeks, months convincing them that you were serious enough to uh, to learn the business. But the biggest thing is to keep your mouth shut about the business. And I, and I mean that sincerely. 
It, I mean, I say the mafia, I mean, other than murder, which almost happened a couple of times, this was a closed door shop and uh, very few people were let in. And if you were let in, you were let, being let into a very special club. And, you know, buddy, you better put your lace your boots up and, and uh, you know, and tighten your belt because you were in for a wild, wild ride of secrecy and travel and, you know, I say it was like the life of a rock star inside of a prison wow. uh, that also toured the country as a rock group, if that makes sense. You know, you know, you had all the all the benefits at times of a rock and roll uh, musician, you know, with women and money. I mean, not so much money with me so much, but <laughs> women and money and travel. But you were in this fishbowl uh, and you were, you know, in, in inside the locker room back in 85 was like a, a prison you know you had you had you know various cliques and and rivalries and you had to team up with somebody and you found protectors and i i mean it seriously that's wow. how kind of and i don't i let me tell you something before we get any further i am so appreciative of the pro wrestling industry and business all i wanted to do was step in the ring one time when I was in grade school and high school. You can ask anybody from my past. Oh, that's all John Stewart wanted to do was just one match. And, you know, three years out of high school, I wrestled for the light heavyweight championship of the world for the AWA on ESPN. So I didn't make a million dollars. I wasn't at WrestleManias, but which is all my fault, but I, I had a hell, I just wrestling was awesome to me, but it was a really scary place. And, I'm a 19 year old doing it. So it was even, it was even scarier. So, yeah. and anyways, so then I, I started with Jerry Lawler. I'll, I'll go, I'll gloss right over this. Started with Jerry Lawler. Got a, I won my first match the second night in the business and Jim and, and Jimmy Cornette says, and they never did that again. Um, they, they let me win my second match in the business. Dutch Mantel doesn't, uh, Bill Dundee doesn't show up to a spot show. And I'm in the main event with Jerry Lawler against Rip Rogers and, and Dutch Mantel, my second night in the business. Wow. My third night, I had the gimmick of the Beach Boys with another guy, Van Van Horn. So, I mean, it was, you know, uh, probably shouldn't have let me have done that, gotten so much success so quickly. And from there, I went to Dick the Bruisers, WWA, for a, a summer. Then recruited by Windy City Wrestling, which is, Still by far the oldest. It is no longer in business, but it was to this day the oldest, longest lasting independent wrestling uh, company in the country. It went from 87 to 2012 or 13. I mean, just 20 something years of continuous shows in local TV. And then uh, I was recruited by Jim Barnett in the famous four, which was Tom Zink, Brian Pillman, Johnny Ace. And I was the fourth Nujnik, if I can use my Yiddish in that group and uh, showed up for my meet the, meet the guys at the pavilion in Chicago. And I had a Ric Flair gimmick. So I show up in a cream colored suit, bleach blonde hair, Porsche Carrera glasses, and don't go up to Ric Flair and say, I, you know, I idolize you. I, I, I want you. Can you take me under your ring? I'm getting signed on Monday, blah, blah, blah. And Rick saw that. And Rick himself will say he was in his worst neurotic, most insecure state. Here's this 22 year old kid. With, with the flair gimmick, even though I couldn't hold a candle to him. Um, and he was in the booking committee. And when my name came up, he's like, if you got to hire some 22 year old Ric Flair ripoff, what is, why, why am I around? I mean, that's ridiculous. And they all went, oh, okay, Rick. And, and I would have done the same thing. I would have backed down. 
Um, and I didn't get hired. They took away my contract. And uh, Vern Gagne came calling. And I spent, um, you know, two and a half years with the AWA on ESPN, which was really the, the highlight of my career. And, um, you know, and then in 93, when the wrestling business was horrible, the steroid trial, I kind of took myself off the loop. You know, it's that track of wrestling. And you jump off the merry-go-round wheel, it's who's John Stewart. You know, I, my whole my whole career, everyone called me. Everyone called me. I never had to call anybody. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I was very fortunate. But once I wanted to get to that next level, back to WCW and, and to the WWF, you know, I had, I had to get the body, you know, and the, the tenacity of making the calls. And again, when I say my wrestling failings, you, there's only one person to blame, and it's me. I just never knew that people like Ted DiBiase um, sent his tapes in before he was the Million Dollar Man. I didn't know Rowdy Piper still called to try and get himself booked. I, I'm, I'm not disparaging those people. I'm saying right. I never knew stars still had to push. Right. And um, I, 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 you know, and I really did not have any guidance to tell me that. Anyway, so. So then after, then after that, I, I went to Japan, uh, Singapore, um, and I hated wrestling in Asia. It was, it was just horrible, but I'm very appreciative of the experience. And, uh, and then Dale, a uh, person, an uh, old AWA corporate guy, Dale Gagne, Gagner, and I started the new AWA Superstars of Wrestling, where we toured the country for 10 years with live, uh, non-televised house shows. Um, and we had everybody wrestle for us, including The Rock. Um, and uh, so that so and that basically uh, took me to 2012, and um, I was deemed physically no longer able to perform as a wrestler, and I stopped wrestling. And and uh, and, I'm, and amongst of all that, I ran for Congress and Illinois governor, and uh, and and I was also an automobile dealer, and I just retired as an automobile dealer in July. So that's the uh, that's the John Stewart wrap up. Yeah, well, and it's uh, it's. Are you are you grateful? Although you know, I I don't know your personal health, no, but, for, but yeah, from talking ahead, to you, you certainly sound like a lucid individual who didn't stay in the ring too long. Um, right. Because I know that you know people use the whole "oh, it's fake," and I, I heard another wrestler actually on a podcast saying, "Don't ever call it fake. There's a predetermined outcome. It's Correct. real. <laughs> we yeah. just know who's yeah. going to win." Right. Uh, yeah. You can't, you can't call it fake when I had a $90,000 back surgery and one of the best neurosurgeons in the Midwest looked at my, my back and went, Oh, <laughs> or nasal surgery. I have nerve damage in my elbow, two arthroscopic surgeries. I have bilateral tendonitis in my, in my, uh, uh, my ankles, uh, chipped vertebrae in my neck. And it, it's, it's, it's by far not fake. It's, it yeah. is predetermined, but go ahead. I, I, I finish your answer. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's that's exactly it. It's it's that you you know. I I feel like some guys go on too long, and they have, you well, know. I yeah. I've I've met some. Uh, the I used to work for the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team. Oh, and, great! Uh, nice. I met a. They, they used to have a wrestling night, and a lot of the old wrestlers came in, and yeah. uh, some of them were fine, and some yeah. of them seemed like they took too many hits to the head. Um, yeah. 
Maybe, I can answer. Maybe yeah, they were always that way. <laughs> right. No, right. Jim Cor- Jim Cornette, who's he's one of my friends, so I, I quote him a lot, so forgive me. I'm not putting him over. You know, it's wrestling crazy. You were the crazy to get into wrestling, or by the time you got out of wrestling, it made you crazy. And that that is totally true. No, I, I um, uh, and I'm uh, I get choked up sometimes when I say this, and I'm not being melodramatic. Um, and I'm not covering for the lack of my stardom in pro wrestling. But when I have a moment with my family and I'm looking at my two beautiful daughters or I, I realize that I've been, I'm 56 years old and I've been alive and I've done so much, so many, so much fun and interesting stuff with my life, married for 23 years. And I'm, I'm not getting off on a tangent here. I literally thank somebody like Ric Flair who quashed my contract, took the wind out of my sails. So I didn't have that gumption to keep going. Vince Russo and Jim Cornette wanted me to, to come into the WWF in 98 as a Arliss, the sports agent character gimmick. Oh. And everybody approved it, but Vince Russo had to, you know, give its approval and just, you know, Vince didn't, didn't care about it. I, I, I want to go back and shake Vince Russo's hand because, he, you know, I know myself. I know a slightly addictive personality. You're going to now give me a job making $250,000 a year. I just married my wife. I had a seven-year-old stepson. And now you're going to put me on the road. Um, I'm not saying the temptation with other women. I'm just saying, what would I have done? I don't know. So I'm saying this rhetorically. What would I have done to continue to make Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year for my wife and my stepson. What would I? What was the length that I would have gone to? Would it have been pain medication, mm-hmm. steroids? I, I, I could tell. Yeah, probably. I mean, who wouldn't want to do to keep that kind of money rolling in? And then being on the road um, with you know, and never really knowing my two daughters. And and that's the that's the constant. That's the trade off between not everyone knowing who Johnny Stewart is. And, you know, uh, and, and, and also um, looking at my daughters and saying I was their father, they knew who I was. And I say this again, I, I thank the wrestling gods at least once a month. Thank you for not, for not um, giving me the pathway to abandon my, my daughters. And I mean that sincerely, and I'm talking very personal here. And so I am very lucky and I have my brain. Uh, my dad begged me. My dad, a hardworking businessman, when I uh, was going to sign my WCW contract for $175,000 for four years, um, my dad begged me, he goes, just promise, promise me you'll never, ever forget or how, or you'll never, ever forget that you should, that one day you might have to get a regular job or don't ever lose the ability to go out and get another job or another career. And, and, and I, so I was, I, I was very blessed with that. And when I look at the statistics. And again, I am not covering for the lack of my success. 60% of the 60 men and women that I have shared a hotel room with, airplane, a locker room, a wrestling ring. I've been to their funerals, my funerals, tears. We've been to each other wedding. Our dead, 60, not five, 60. And what about the other ones that have half a brain addicted to to every, you know, medication? And I'm just saying, by the grace of God, go, there go for me. And when I think of, well, I, I might have $2 million in the bank, but what, what would have been the cost? 
I just, you know, I'm I, again, I'm not saying I'm glad I'm John Stewart now. I'm just saying I'm grateful that the wrestling gods chose this path for me. I, I, I really am. And, uh, and, um, and, and for the guys that aren't that fortunate, um, I, you know, uh, I, it, 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 it's painful for me to, to see that in some of the condition of some of the guys, but that is changing. There's a new generation. You got the Dolph Ziggler's that probably have seven, $8 million in the bank. I told him his first month in the wrestling business, save your money. Cause you're going to get a regular job one day. You know, he'll never have to have a job. So, you know, it's changing. They, they go home and they go to the hotel, play PlayStation and said, where we did, we, had, we, you know, my, my era did drugs and booze <laughs> and steroids and, you know, er, and everything under the sun. So I'm, I'm glad it's changing. I'm glad it's a, a more cleaned up product. Um, especially with the talent. I, I really am because I, I love the wrestling industry. Yeah, it's uh, it, it has seemed to become a little more clean cut from a yes. from obviously an outside perspective. Uh, and I mean, yeah. I, I've I've heard they're they're a lot stricter with things about uh, steroids and pain pills and all yeah. that stuff. So yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, the this generation and beyond have a, a <clears throat> you know better percentage outcome. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then you did, you dabbled, you mentioned you dabbled in, in politics. You ran for Congress, you ran for governor of Illinois. Right. Um, that might be the craziest thing you've done. <laughs> I, I agree. Tra you know, wrestling with my underwear on every night, that was nothing. Uh, you you want to talk about a gimmick and you want to talk about a work and you want to talk about a mafia and uh, a life and death. Uh, every day get into politics federal politics that that was fun you know people <laughs> following me my credit my you know my credit being pulled uh our, our uh, senator uh, a guy who became my friend who i dropped out and endorsed mark kirk became congressman he became a senator he's retired he'll tell you point blank his phone was tapped while we were both in the primary i the new york times called my primary which we had 11 candidates um, in one of the wealthiest districts in in the war, in the country, the North Shore of Chicago, um, was the dirtiest the dirtiest primary primary in American history, and uh, and I and I was in that. I I I watch. I, I can't believe no one's made a documentary about it because it was just it was uh, the rumors and the 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 stories and the the press and the the fights and the oh god it, it was unbelievable, but but it was interesting you know. Uh, Bob Black Backlund was running for Congress at the time, too. So him and I got some traction on Hannity and Combs and Fox. And the New York Times Magazine did an article on Bob Backlund and I. And, you know, people told us, like, there aren't popes that have had articles in the New York Times Magazine. So we were very, very blessed to, to get that kind of attention and stuff. And uh, and then in 2016, through a set of circumstances, I ended up running uh, for governor in the Libertarian Caucus. And although that wasn't as heated because it wasn't for federal office, I was still running in Crook County, Illinois. You're right. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, which is, you know, it's, uh, I, like I said, uh, wrestling was so far more easier uh, than, than, than politics. And I mean that. And, and uh, when I ran for governor, I put like 11,000 miles on my car. I mean, I really wow. worked my ass off uh, sleeping in rest stops, coming home from a debate because I was tired. And, you know, I'm the illustrious Johnny Stewart. I'm sleeping in a car with my overcoat <laughs> over me. I mean, I'm the illustrious Johnny Stewart. I don't sleep in car, but it, it, it was, uh, it was really interesting and, and fun. And, and, um, you know, I was proud of myself to stick it out 
and uh, and put those kind of miles on my car and and just debate after debate all over Illinois. It was it was very interesting, but very very tiring. It's you know I'm one of those guys that believe try you should try and have a meaningful life because when it's over, it's over. So yeah. you know get it all in while you can. But believe it or not, you're not the first libertarian candidate for governor I've had on the podcast. Larry Sharp was on oh. Uh, oh, last, Larry. about a year ago. <laughs> so good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh I've unfortunately dabbled a little bit in libertarian politics myself. And uh yeah, that's I can't imagine how how uh I mean in Florida things get ugly, but in Illinois that's like the <laughs> I mean they'll I mean I mean I mean there are politicians in the slate state that you know they slit your throat for five votes. I mean it's it's uh Illinois was um is unbelievable. That's all I can say. And God, God all I can all I can say is God help this state because because we need it. But you know, you know, um, and I'm not bragging here. I'm just I'm just making a point for anyone listening that may be younger than me. Um, you know, I ran for Congress. I totally failed. But when we ran for Congress, a guy went up to Mark Kirk and I and said the North Chicago VA is closing. None of us knew about it. Mark Kirk and I jumped on that bandwagon. We had a press conference. We said we were going to do what we can to save it. Mark ended up saving the North Chicago VA three years later because of that in his relationship with John McCain. $130 million uh, John Lovell Medical Center is now standing by the North Chicago VA over a dingling pro wrestler in a, in a former legislative aide of a congressman who were the progenitors that started that you know, started that fire and kept that facility open and had a facility, a $130 million facility um, built, you know, so you might fail at something, but goddamn, you could, there might be such a silver lining to what you did, or you look back and you're like, oh, that did happen because I did something, even though I failed. And um, I just think that's a re really big lesson for people that, you know, just do things, get off the couch, do something, be active, show up. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what the end result is of your hard work, your kindness, your tenacity. And and $130 million medical facility is because I and, my, and Mark Kirk stood up and said, we have to save this. We have to save the VA. So I'm very proud of that. And I think that was a great lesson that um, was learned in my run for Congress. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's amazing. And yeah, even yeah. even in, in failure and losing you can still make changes. Uh, I mean, that's unfortunately Absolutely. that's all libertarians have to go on. <laughs> it's, right. We're not going to you know, win, I, but I, we can change things, maybe. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I've been I've been steadfast with the libertarians of being just you know a middle of the road libertarian, and I tell everybody we have the greatest, the easiest to sell message in the world. Smaller government, more power to the people. Who the hell? doesn't want who doesn't want a smaller government you know and um and uh you know uh, uh, and, and a slightly compassionate libertarian i don't want i'm not a mad max libertarian we, we we are a country of laws um but when the government is peeking through the keyhole in my bedroom and every time i reach for my wallet i'm feeling you know congress's hand that's that's where it gets the overreach it gets ridiculous and yeah. and and uh, so that's something that i'm trying to um, you know, in, um, uh, emerge or entrench in the libertarian in the libertarian party that we have to take a little bit of a centrist move. We have to be a catch-all. 
uh, everyone that's going to come to the Libertarian Party was either a Democrat, a Green, or Republican. So why are you ber berating them that they were a Republican at one time? They're they're coming to you. They want to be a Libertarian. Open your arms, embrace them, and uh, and show them the light. Yeah, yeah. That's you're 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 not going to win by uh, preaching to the uh, the one percent no. or fewer that no. are. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, well. See, we could do a whole podcast about both of those topics. However, <laughs> either one of those topics. However, um, you've got uh, a five-year investigation uh, oh, into, yeah. <laughs> into the government's alien interview program. Um, and I'm, if I folks, this, folks, this is not a joke. He's not joking around. So, just to let you know, you don't have to turn off the the channel or go great. You know. Get yourself a drink, nestle yourself in your couch, your chair, your car, because what we're about to talk about is going to blow your mind. So I just wanted to give you that caveat. Yeah, and I, I, if I could do this correctly, now this is, if if I am doing it correctly, this is video of the thing you're speaking of, correct? That is um, correct, sir. So that is correct. I'll. Uh... <laughs> well, let's you know. Let's just first. Let's just first. It's fake. Have you ever seen an alien? No. Okay. So number one, uh, if you were hoaxing a video of an alien, why would you make it terracotta tan? Not yeah. gray. Why would you have round eyes and not almond? Um, Andrew Burlington in the United Kingdom did a frame by frame analysis where skin movements around the eyes, the eyes have different four or five different shapes. The mouth on this creature, when he starts to get into a respiratory <laughs> problem, opens and closes instantaneously. To do that in 1996 is, is you know, $70,000, $80,000. The weird monitor where it doesn't go across, it goes up and down, up and down. And there doesn't look like there's a lot of electronics in the back of that monitor. And then the two medics that come in to, to tend to this being, and I'll, and I'll get to the whole story, but I'm just saying, if you were hosting this video and making it a Hollywood production, you'd have these in bio containment suits. They come in in short sleeve scrubs, their college gray shirt underneath, you know, kind of like, oh, we've had this thing for five years. This is not, you know, any kind of a of a contaminant to me. And then the and then the whistleblower, Victor, had such a scientific language in speech. I, I knew Hollywood. I'm like, there is no way a 23 year old screenwriter in 1996 wrote the, the Victor testimony or his, his description of, of what went on. And uh, five years ago, I had had enough of it bothering me. And especially after I asked John McCain, I don't know if you wanted to put the video back on. On the bottom of the video is the acronym DNI slash 27. And I asked, and I asked John McCain on a bus tour, what is the Department of Naval Intelligence? Joe, he turned to like... Um, a demon almost. And he just snapped and he goes, you don't need to know anything about that. And he snapped his head and he walked back into the tour bus. I'm like, wait a minute. Why is a sitting United States Senator just got pissed off over a hoaxed video with three letters on the bottom of it? What, what I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and that stayed in my mind forever in the, in the, in the testimony of this whistleblower. And this became really the most infamous alien video and the most infamous whistleblower in UFO history. 
but everyone has pushed it to the side because it was so casual. It had such a non-Hollywood production to it. And people thought there's no way we could ever break into S4. And um, by the way, the medic to the left uh, is a, was a doctor who died in California. I talked to his widow. Folks, I'm not lying here. Uh, if you go back to the medic, the two doctors that tend to him, it's forward, I think. It's more for there. Okay, the guy with the gauze, the doctor with the gauze, with the mouth, because fluids pouring out of the alien's mouth. I'm not getting ahead of myself. He is practicing medicine in Connecticut right now. And wow. they will not take my call, phone call anymore. The doctor who you see the, the headdress uh, pointing out from the, the arm, he died in California about four years ago. I talked to his second wife, who's the widow. And I told her the whole story very gently because you, you're explaining to these people that their loved ones were part of the most bizarre story in history. It's like telling someone their, their father was a transsexual or, you know, was a transvestite at night. You know, it's that kind of the sensitivity of approaching these, these people. And she said, well, that makes, again, this was the, the second wife of the doctor to the, to our left said to me, pause. Well, that certainly explains why he never mentioned anything about being in the army medical corps. I don't even know what the army medical corps is. Is that the medical division of the army? Seriously. And then I said, well, can you explain that a little? She's like, John, I'm, I'm 80 years old. Everybody that's been in the military in my age, you know, always has great funny stories or, you know, if they weren't in combat, they have great hysterical stories of being in or they always talk about their bases or their buddies. My husband never mentioned a word about his time in the Army Medical Corps. And here was another moment where I went, what, what is going on? How did I find these people? Yeah. I went on podcasts. I'm like, how am and, and this journey was an all doom and gloom. So forgive my glibness. I said to myself, how am I going to break into a facility, the most top secret government facility, S4, located south of Area 51, underground? How am I going to break into this facility 25 years in the past and 90% <laughs> of my witnesses are geriatric or dead? Now think about that. And I went on podcast after podcast or any internet radio show I could to be a bird dog, to flush out someone. Because a Chicago detective always told me, John, people love to talk. I don't care if it's the most sensitive information in the world or, you know, what they did. You know, they, they stole pens at the bank. They yeah. love to talk. Go to them, approach them with sincerity, honesty. Don't use any gotcha questions. And sure enough, about two months after I did the Caravan to Midnight show with John, with John B. Wells, I started getting emails from a person that claimed he worked and did work for the Defense Intelligence Agency, which ran the re alien retention and interrogation program at S4. And it took him a year of talking to me e via email, seeing my sincerity, seeing if I would, you know, like wrestling, if I would protect it to some degree, that I would take this seriously. And on my birthday of last year, coincidentally, this man sent me an email, Joe, of every single military person behind that camera in the viewing room looking at this alien being during that segment. I was told what the questions were about. I was given the name and rank of every person. Um, I was given the names of the two doctors, which is how I got to call one of the wives 
lives and how I found the other one in medical practice. And uh, it, it was a remarkable journey. Two people were dead of the military list. One was a contractor at the time. Here's another thing. I looked at some of the ranks and I'm like, well, this is a hoax. I just Googled this guy. He, he retired a vice admiral. They have him down as a captain. And my other investigator said, John, this is a report from 1991. He probably was a captain back then. It's 2022. He obviously moved up in rank and retired. And I'm like, oh, my God. I went from thinking it was a hoax to thinking it was true. I even emailed this vice admiral who was a naval intelligence officer. And we had a great email going back and forth. I was going to fly to Virginia, play golf with him, because I told him I was a documentary producer. When I finally sent him the report on his behest, he ghosted me. He refused to email me back. He refused to talk to me. I mean, I would have been like, what are you kid? Are you crazy? This is, I'm calling myself kid. You know, what do you, this is crazy. I'm a part of an alien interview. You are nuts. Never could nothing. And I've had investigators tell me that nothing, that ghosting spoke way more than him telling you you're crazy or whatnot. Yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, the investigation lagged. So then I went to Bill Mums, who was hired by National Geographic to do the Patterson-Gimlin, because I knew what reporters were going to ask me, and I'd be running for Congress. I knew I had to vet, vet, source, source, check every, every piece of evidence, Joe, two or three times with two or three sources. So I hired Bill Mums, National Geographic, uh, who hired him to do the Patterson-Gimlin video analysis, even though my one researcher did it already. And the one thing he said was, I can't see how this is a hoax because there is no cream. And if that was a foam latex animatronic puppet, first of all, there would be five men moving the mouth movements and the little eyelid movements and whatnot. And he said that when you make a foam animatronic thing, you have to lay it up eventually. And when the arms come down, you get creases. It's unavoidable. Everyone, everyone has it and he said quote there are no creases on this alien um and, and you do get a shot of the alien's torso so i'm like I'm, i was to a point where nobody was debunking it you know nobody was telling me that it was fake everybody was telling me yes 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 i asked other military intelligence insiders you know i said is the 97 victor alien interview real yes it is um i had one person he ghosted me also before he ghosted me, he told me that that video, the whole scenario about that video is blacklisted in military intelligence, which means it never happened. We don't know any what you're talking about. It never happened. I don't know. Alien, what are you talking about? It's it, it, Don't talk about it. It's it's nothing. It's forget about it. So um, I was stymied, even though I had everyone's names and I called them, emailed them, made contact with them. I had military intelligence insiders telling me about the alien the alien retention program, um, you know, for every, any ufologist, there's only one person, according to the documentary, who communicated with Victor, the whistleblower. And that was Jeff Broadstreet, the director of the first video. And when Victor came back again, 10 years later, telling people he was dying in a follow-up video where he hollered at the UFO community, why is no credible researcher doing any research? Why isn't anybody trying to prove who I was or I am? Why isn't anybody trying to prove that it was an animatronic doll or it was a real alien? I risked my life, limb, pension for, for this to have nobody do anything. And so eventually, um, eight days ago, um, 
I established uh, uh, an agreement with the director uh, of the of the 1997 Alien interview and Area 51 interview, Victor Returns, and he gave me the name of Victor. Do you think I just stopped there? No. I did a search in California, and he said he lived in California, didn't drive. I mean, Jeff, I'm giving you the bombshell here. Yeah. And I looked Victor's name up, and lo and behold, I see his obituary. He said he was dying in 08. He dies in 2011, right when he said he did. Had Parkinson's disease. His, Victor's son, I'm moving, jumping forward, said he had sybaratic uh, dermatitis caused by Parkinson's because that's why he had a back scratcher in the 2008 documentary. I know that sounds bizarre as he was sitting in this car. And what did he do for a living? The name, the director, who the only person that's ever talked to Victor, what did he do for a living? He was a scientist with two different defense companies. Game, set, and match. Hold on. Now, now I'm like, that's not enough. I, I, I've got to find, I've got to, I, I, I mean, I know the name the director gave me. He's a scientist, defense company. What else could I do? We have a, there is a person that claims, and I know he has it. It's not a claim because he was, head of security for Area 51 for a long time. He has the visitor logs at, from Area 51 from like 75 to 91. This is a true story. So we wrote him, gave him Victor's name. Joe, Victor's name shows up on an Area 51 visitor's log as a non-resident. Lockheed, um, Lockheed, the company he was working for was Lockheed. Non-res, N-O-N-R-E-S, meaning non-resident. He did not live at the base. He commuted back and forth. And uh, from June of 81 to June of 83 was his clearance. So I've got the only person that met Victor telling me in his real name, finding out he's a scientist for a defense program, knowing he had Parkinson's because the director said he did not drive. So those were those two facts were linked together. The second documentary location was in the Santa Monica Hills. I found Victor's address at the time. It was a 15-minute drive, so the director picked him up, drove him to the location. They shot the video in the director's car, drove him back. There was a check mark, And I found Victor in a freaking Area 51 visitor's log from the 1980s. So game, set, and match. And, and we did it. My team, my team did it. And... Um, and everyone told me, Hollywood military ufologist, you find out who Victor is, you prove or disprove the video. If he's an actor, hoax. If he's any, this was told to me by the military, if he's any government employee, contractor, uh, soldier, game over, that video's real. And somebody said, well, I don't know, you know, that could, I'm like, wait a minute. If what I found is what is not real, which is ridiculous to believe that, you're telling me that a 68-year-old man with Parkinson's and not a lot of money who didn't drive got the $120,000, got a production crew, rented a studio, had somebody develop the best animatronic alien I've ever seen in my, in my, in my life back in 91 and got the actors and, 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 and developed the, the language of, of Victor all while having Parkinson's and not driving. I mean, to believe that you have to, you know, you have to, you have to be specially touched in your head. And, um, and this is all coming out. And, and it felt, folks, if you think like, oh, this is just some wrestler looking to hump his, to, to hype his documentary. Last week on Martin Luther King's Day, I asked 
for whistleblower protection from Congressman Mike Gallagher because my information is so sensitive um, that I don't know what I'm getting into by exposing this to the public. So, you know, a hoaxer doesn't go to a congressman and ask for whistleblower protection. And I did that on, on Martin Luther King Day. So um, it's about to get real. Um, uh, it, it, this was this story broke in Mexico last week with uh, Musan TV, Jaime Musan, who did much a lot of research on this video 25 years ago. Um, the one video has got 450,000 views already in five days. This is breaking. This is happening. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited, but I'm a little in, I have a little intrepidation. I don't want Victor's family to be put into the 30, you know, satellite trucks outside their house on a, yeah. on a morning. I don't want that for them. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sensitive person. I don't want that for them. But, uh, you know, this story has to come out. The truth has to come out. And we can all tell that the government is slowly leaking disclosure. I mean, it's been happening for five years. And, um, you know, all what, it's the best thing for the government. A, a failed politician, a semi-tepidly uh, successful pro wrestler and used car dealer is going to break the biggest story. You know, 20% of the people aren't going to believe me. Um, and that's great for the government, so to speak. It kind of does let them and me off the hook a little bit because, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a former Lieutenant Colonel in the army coming forward, but we have so much evidence, so many emails. We have an email from a guy, a major who claimed to outrun the program, which was project Aquarius. His name is major Thomas Mack. He wrote a uh, email in 1999 admitting that he was the director of the program. Um, so on and so forth. I mean, we just, we went beyond the New York times in 2020 and 60 minutes, I, I'm really, really proud of the job that we did that any journalist would be like, okay, stop. You, you, you did it. You, you, you don't have to, you don't have to get any more, any more evidence. Um, uh, we really, we really nailed it shut. So I'll, I'll answer any question about it that you might have. I'm sorry for rambling. No, no, that's a lot of info. And I'm going to ask some, some dumb questions. Uh, yeah. But um hopefully it'll lead to more intelligent ones sure so, so sure. to start with uh you would say so this i guess let's even go further back so the origin of this alien uh obviously area 51's been everyone knows the whole mystique about area 51 right um is the story with this alien that they that it crash landed here uh and how long great ago question. was that do we know great Great question. Victor said that it arrived at S4, not Area 51, S4. This is the underground complex that Bob Lazar talked about. And mm -hmm. in 1990, but it wasn't released till 08, a Navy SEAL who claimed to be a sentry at S4 told the same story as Bob Lazar. Anyway, um, Victor tells us in the documentary that in 1989, this creature came to S4. And we think that it was shot down in the Kalahari Desert because that was one of the only ports in 89 of a UFO being shot down. But we are not sure. And I can't lay testimony to that. I can tell you that I'm pretty confident that the bean came to S4 in 1989. And there was a small cabal. How this all this video and information started coming out, there was a very small cabal that were very disgruntled. You know, apparently even in top secret facilities, you get pissed off employees. And the Navy <laughs> SEAL... The Navy SEAL claims he conspired with a biologist, the program director, another, another a century, and another scientist. 
So that's, you know, we, we have all the names. And the Navy SEAL got pissed because his debit card stopped working. You know, it's always follow the money. You know, it, 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 it's, it's comical, but it's like, it's so stupid that it can't be a, a lie. That he got pissed because they shut off his debit card. And uh, he started to conspire with these people to smuggle something out, and they and they did, and um, so that's that's how we know the the provenance of the alien coming into the facility back in '89. And, and you had said, I believe you said you uh, in one of the one of the things you got was uh, a, a list of the questions that they were asking the alien. I got the I got the topic. The, topic. Uh, the top. Yeah. And, and again, this is another Joe, this is another stupid backstory that is like, how could they, how, how could this wrestler think of um, the, 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 an, another person who claimed to have been an S4, but not only on the first level. Um, he claims that every time a being, a creature is interviewed, there is like a cattle line, a casting call of military intelligence agencies lined up outside the ambassador interview suite. They call it a suite uh, to insert their questions for the bean. Does that make sense? So it'll be like, Joe, Joe is with CIA. You have 15 minutes. Go ahead. So this was the end of this interview uh, uh, of these two of this two hour interview and the DNI, the department of Naval intelligence went in to ask it its questions. And the basis of its questions was an unknown submerged object object in the Indian Ocean. That's all we know at this time. But that's what was being asked of this alien. Uh, was, did you get any info on how the communication worked? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was thought projection. So even in, I've heard this from three people now. So this is going to help validate what I'm telling you because I'm going to be disparaging towards my story. Victor and the two other people that um, we know that were at S4 all have said the telepathic program where they hired telepaths to communicate with these aliens was a joke. And Victor said they were one, they were one step over somebody you would call in the middle of the night, a 1-800 number on TV, you know, a psychic. But they did have two... Um, I'm, and I'm not going to say their order because it's going to turn this story into the Da Vinci Code. So I'm not. But they had two men of God. Can we can we can we all figure out what that it means? Two men of God from Vermont that would sit down with this being and they were so in tune that as soon as they sat down, they would start looking over their shoulder and telling the military people, oh, you know, uh, you know, we've never given the alien a name. You know, Bob over here is saying that the object in the Indian Ocean is a, a craft, but it's not from the uh, United States. It's from a star system, blah, blah. And, and they there was no barrier to what these men of God could get from the alien. And they were like almost like dictaphones, like like secret, like a steno pool, whatever yeah. they, they could. They could instantly get the aliens information. And that we had two people tell us that. So that was pretty interesting. But oftentimes, as Victor said, the aliens were very guarded. Um, Victor said that, you know, a lot of times they only communicated broad stroke um, minor technical. You know, how do we how do you get here from a star system? You know, we use a gravitational wormhole. I'm not a physicist, so I'm just making stuff up. But nothing, nothing really that specific. And Victor also said 
that aliens probably had a difficult time communicating technical information to us because it would be like human beings trying to teach physics in grunts and screeches to a chimpanzee, mm -hmm. which I thought was a very, very great metaphor that Victor used. Um, so it, it wasn't this glory glorified success that they had that they had hoped it was, but it was a thought projection. You would sit down and you, you wouldn't even think of it. It was just like a, they, the, the, they, they, people that have been with this said that just these thoughts would just appear in, in, in your head. And before you even had the question, it was an amazing, um, an amazing scenario. Matt, it, I don't know if you know, you know, the answer to this, but the, the, obviously the a part of the video I even played on, uh, on the on the zoom they were right. treating the alien um right. was i mean was the alien i mean i i hadn't heard any accusations of them torturing the alien or right. anything like that was it just i mean the alien maybe in bad condition from the crash or from earth's atmosphere or uh do, do you know anything about the treatment itself of of the alien it, you know physical yeah. and yeah one of, one of the telltale signs is that they called the rooms that they stayed in and were interviewed in suites, which mm. if you look up the definition of a suite, it's a very more, it's a more comfortable room or hotel room or guest accommodations. So, and even Victor says, and I've talked to other people in this program who said they, we, they did their best the, without, you know, going too far, you know, out of their way, but they did do their best to accommodate the, sorry, accommodate these beings um, for for their comfort. But, you know, most importantly was give us the technology and, and what else do you know? Um, and this being, although they, Victor said that the, that the beings removed microbial um, interference in their, in their bodies, they still were susceptible to respiratory illness because um, molecules could still form colonies in their respiratory system, which was really a heart and lung, a one organ type respiratory pulmonary system, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then this creature was suffering from a debilitating uh, respiratory issue. We hear another person who um, who uh, took uh, pathology samples of another creature who had to be in a, a, uh, a methane oxygen biosphere. Um, and that creature suffered from uh, neuropathy, you know, tingling of the, of the nerves. And so mm -hmm. they were not, you know, these creatures were not, you know, uh, God almighty and impervious to things. And Victor did say that if they didn't want to be shot down, they wouldn't have been shot down. They let themselves get captured and shot down many times in almost like a metaphor. He said to like Jesus Christ, allowing himself to come to earth, knowing that he would be tortured and crucified, um, they feel that the aliens were somehow in the same type of, of category that, you know, letting themselves be captured, seeing how people from Earth treat them um, uh, so they, you know, could could find out and relay back somehow um, the people what the people on this planet planet are or all about. So I thought that was interesting. And they uh, my assumption is, at least as far as you know, they didn't indicate uh any anything about other aliens on their way or already living amongst us or anything like that i i yeah, assume that you know you're a very smart guy <laughs> i call i call it my dances with wolves question you know in dances with wolves the the 
medicine man Indian. Uh, the, the, the Indian who was the medicine man asked uh, Kevin Costner, are there more coming? Yeah. And Kevin Costner says, yes. How many more? Like the stars in the sky. So, And I answered, I've asked many people in the program that, and that was never really communicated. What was communicated, and if you believe in the Bible, it's basically the same thing that these beings have been telling our government, that we created, um, you know, we are, are the progenitors of the human race. Other races of aliens have also tinkered with our genetics, folks. It's proven our DNA has been manipulated 16 times. And the last time our DNA was manipulated, proven, proven in scientific journals was 80,000 years ago. Something was added and then a chromosome was capped off on both ends. They, they know that there was a God, a worship gene. They, our, our scientists, know that there is a God worship gene inserted into our DNA. And it basically, that's what the Bible says. God created man and then looked at, and he looked at the sons of man and they were happy. Well, who are the sons of man? Man wasn't created yet. So, you know, you, you know, remove angels and put in aliens and the Bible really falls into place. That's, I'm not getting it off on a tangent. So, but yes, um, they really, I, I have not heard them communicating that there are thousands of millions of aliens coming, but that they were the progenitors and we are kind of like their zoo, you know, where just like human beings, we take samples, you know, we, 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 uh, tranquilize, um, animals. We do tests, we do experiments. One dies. What can I tell you? Sorry. Um, we use animals for experiments. Um, yeah. I think the most, I was talking to my wife last night, the most came to me last night, you know, we are using pig hearts now for humans. And why is it so crazy that aliens might be using some of our biological material for the survival of their species? We do it already. Human beings do it. We can't even thin out traffic at a Dodgers game. So is it, <laughs> is it crazy to think that aliens that are a thousand years in advance aren't doing this also I, I mean it's you know it's it's ludicrous when you just take a common sense approach and sit back and really start to think about it um they're just doing the same thing that we are doing i'm not minimizing it um i'm also not trying to scare people i'm just kind of being matter of fact because it does appear that they're just kind of doing what you know human beings are due to you know to labs and zoos and farms um to animals that are on our earth now yeah, and there are there are people who care for animals, and there are animals who who get treated great and live great lives. So I'm sure aliens. I mean, by that logic, aliens. Some of them probably have a soft spot. Some of them have particular humans that they adore. I'm I'm, I'm clapping for you. Listen to this guy, okay? Listen, you're exactly <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. You know, um, uh, one one um, a pathologist who claimed to have worked on tissue. Um, he said uh, two great stories. I, I don't know how you could make this up, but he said, he said, one of the things is, is that, um, you know, are, don't ever discount that some beings who are traversing our, our solar system and our, and the galaxy coming here, some might be explorers, some might be astronauts, some might be, you know, uh, you know, people on vacation. And I don't mean to be glib. 
Uh, some people might be photographers uh, to, to take back photo evidence. Some might be scientists. Some might be uh, uh, military, just like we are when we go to the Amazon or when we went to South America or North America. You know, some of us were explorers, soldiers, you know, scientists, authors, you you name it. So why would they be be any different, especially when they tinkered with us and created us? For lack, for lack of a better word. And the other thing is, is that two things, which I think is really special about the world, and I mean this sincerely, and I'm, I'm not being ham-handed. Um, a pathologist told us that they, they, most alien creatures, cannot understand the bond between parent and child, and, base, and mostly a mother and a child. They cannot grasp in their brain why a, a mother from Cleveland would crawl through a mountain of granite to save her child, you know, because they have this, this hive mentality and we have this tribal, you know, family unit mentality. And I think another, uh, uh, another anecdotal story, true or not, I don't know, but the pathologist was rushing through his experiments with the alien being um, at his side, basically monitoring the, this experiment and the pathologist was rushing and the alien said in thought projection, why why are you in a hurry basically and he said i i i have a first date folks i'm not making this up <laughs> I, I have a first date and i'm excited and this was in sandia labs in in, in utah and he said i, I want to hurry up because i don't want to be late and, and the being in thought projection said why, why are you excited about another human being like they don't they don't understand that that connection that bond mm. and I, and i find that i find that interesting and i find that very um i find that uh, comforting that we are special and you know we might be the freak show and the circus and of of the galaxy but we're still <laughs> uh, we're still biological individuals that highly intelligent people or beings don't understand and i think that's very comforting to me and i think it would be to a lot of people that we are yeah. special we're not cows in the pasture. We are a very unique, special race of of biological entities with well, souls. Yeah, well, I mean, with that, I mean, with that logic, that understanding, we wouldn't be a species that would be eliminated because we do right. have something they don't have that they probably would would want to study. Right. Uh, and I also. <laughs> I also can't stop giggling in my own head. I keep visualizing. You know how during the the Super Bowl they have the puppy bowl on right, uh, Animal right. Champ. I just keep right. figuring the biggest sporting event in this aliens world. They their their little goofy entertainment is look at the human Super Bowl. Look at these cute little people running around on the totally field. <laughs> totally. Joe, I had a skeptic. Uh, I was on their podcast a couple of days ago, and they go, um, "Well." Uh, you know, why isn't the government telling us absolutely everything? I said, do you want me to, do you want an honest answer? It, yes, of course we do. Have you taken a look at the, the key, uh, 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 the, at a target on black Friday where human beings are killing each other for a $10 toaster. And you're asking me why the government isn't telling us that beings from another planet have come to earth and they have brought, you know, the ability to look into the future. They brought the ability to regenerate skin and tissue, and they've taught us how to go past our galaxy. You, you, you want people at Target 
who kill each other for a $7 toaster to all of a sudden have the ability to look into the future so they know what the stock market's going to do. They know when their spouse is going to die. They know if their child is going to be a success or is going to die young. Um, when their mortality, you want everyone in the world to be able to look into the future. You know, and the person just kind of looked down. Like, you know, I mean, it, it sounds, it's crazy, but it's true. You know, I, I, yes, there are a huge swath of our species on this planet that are, that are intelligent and sensitive and ready for anything. And there is a huge swath of our species that quite frankly, scare the shit out of me. And I think a lot of other people. So I don't think that we are ready for the entire truth, which is why I think I am not a military or an intelligence. Why I think there is this soft, slow roll disclosure. Um, and that makes and that makes perfect sense. So people can swallow it. We've been seeing aliens for 50, 60 years in movies and TV. You know, I, I don't think it'd be a big deal that much to people to people anymore. I really don't. The Pope is telling us that aliens are our brothers and sisters and and that we should embrace them. I mean, you could see the slow roll of of disclosure, but giving people the ability, you know, giving this technology to look in the future if there is one or to fly around or I, I mean, I, I, you know, you're talking about chaos. So see, you, you can tell I'm not a news podcast and that I'm an entertainment podcast by this next question. Cause it's purely hypothetical, but I think you'll, I think you'll get, okay. I think you'll ride right along with where I'm going sure. with it. So it, playing off exactly what you're saying, there's always been a theory that I've heard with, from many people that the government, the, the, the top secret people, that even people in the government don't know about, but they feed, they have connections to Hollywood and they intentionally feed them things to try to put out little test bubbles to see how the general public's going to react. Uh, and there's not been a shortage of alien movies. Um, Independence Day arguably <laughs> sounds like some of the stuff, uh, you know, at least the, you know the alien having been here and all that all that stuff um obviously the the aliens in these movies are not always uh very peaceful <laughs> yeah right, right um but i do wonder if there is some level of of credibility to that that maybe they do i mean you know uh, the thing most people point to is that they were really afraid that we actually were going to get hit by an asteroid and that's why armageddon and deep impact came out in the same year uh, you know, uh, no movie's ever been made about a, a asteroid striking the planet and then two come out in the same year. Um, so I feel like with aliens, that could be part of that slow rollout is just let's normalize it through movies and maybe stardom is violent and scary and slowly humanize them, uh, so to speak. Um, I mean, if, you know, I've always kind of you know, brushed off the idea, but it would seem to fit in with that logic of, hey, they're not ready for it, but I know a way we can slowly dose them to get ready for it. Well, I, I could tell you the the over the over 40 um, military intelligence, si government scientists, uh, military people, um, all of them, when asked this question, which I, I, which is one of my standard, you know, questions that I ask people, um, absolutely. First of all, Project Mockingbird was the program to plant actual news people in media of, of TV, radio and newspaper. 
and, and still going on to many of my sources, um, uh, that any kind of sensitive story has to be cleared with other people. And as far as Hollywood, 175% that the government has either supplanted scripts, um, have has made available funds to make a movie of 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 any kind of subject matter that they want to get the get the American people accustomed to. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a slow desensitization uh, of, of this of the subject matter, um, and and there are there are even a little bit more dr- dramatic. Uh, there are even more people that also have a more dramatic view that it's also the ability for the government to say, well, we did tell you, we just couldn't come out and tell you, but we did show you deep impact. I mean, we figured out how to get the money to people and, and um, uh, uh, they, uh, they have, um, they have worked with screenwriters um, when they, when they, when you have a project or an idea that they would like, what they think is, is, is important to put out to the public uh, they they stick their fingers in the pie if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and in Hollywood in Hollywood that could mean giving access for, of the government as as technical advisors. That means money. Um, that means um, dealing with the top uh, executives of of the networks and of the film studios. Um, you know, uh, George Carlin had the best quote. You know, if somebody said, what you, John Stewart's talking about a general talking to the head of MGM, please. George Carlin's got the greatest quote. They might not have 4th of July parties together, but they belong to the same country clubs. They're all on the same page. They know what the script in the storyline is, the world storyline is, and they all, they all walk in lockstep to that story. And, and, you know, so when a, when a, when a MGM, and I'm just using an XYZ studio gets the script of an asteroid impact and goes to his military contact. And, you know, and if the military contact thinks that this is something that the government would like to put into our, put into the lexicon of, of the country and into our memory, then it's uh, yeah. What, what do you need? You know, what do you need technical advice? This is what we would do. This is how we would build ships. What kind of ships? And, you know, everybody plays the same game. I might not be in the foursome on the golf course, with that general, but we're all playing the same golf game, playing by the same rules. And, and it's just a great quote by George Carlin that really sums up everything that I have learned about the government being involved in the desensitization program of, of just normalizing Americans to, uh, to dis- climate disasters and or um, aliens and the alien phenomenon. I, I mean, it's 175% without question. Nice. Well, um, I don't want to keep you much longer because we've been going a while, but uh, you, you, I think you mentioned uh, you were doing a documentary as well, correct? I, I am. And for people like, oh, see, he's getting publicity for his documentary. I haven't shot one second of film. I have no website. I have no <laughs> YouTube channel where you like, click and subscribe. And I'm not asking <laughs> you for your credit card number. So kiss my ass for anybody that says, oh. He's hyping a doc. I haven't shot one second of film um, for any kind of documentary. But yes, I do want to tell the American public my five-year journey. It is fascinating. It is the Da Vinci Code meets all the president's men meets Rudy. I mean, Rudy, the football movie, because everybody laughed at me. 
Then they started to believe in me. And slowly, all of these people from the military, scientists, um, other experts started to come around me and help me and basically put me in the game. So, hey, wait, before I go, can I tell the greatest Iron Sheik story ever told? Oh, and you've got to put this story on YouTube. In, in, in the you got to cut this and put this on YouTube. This is the greatest Iron Sheik story ever. I have never told it to anyone. All it's, right, uh, I promise I will do that. <laughs> this is from Johnny Johnny Valiant's mouth, nineteen eighty seven. Because <laughs> you're a wrestling fan, I have to tell you this: the Iron Sheik comes into the locker room. They are in Newark. And they had just come back from a long loop where they started in Newark. And the Sheik is distraught. He's almost in tears. And Johnny Valiant, who talks like this, Sheiky, Sheiky, baby, what's going on? And the Iron Sheik sits down in the locker room. Folks, this is a true story. Never been told ever. And he goes, oh, Johnny, Johnny, I went to mechanical gas station uh, be before we left Newark 20 days ago. I throw the jabroni, the keys to my car. I said, jabroni. Fix the Sheiky's car. Fix the Sheiky's car. And Johnny Valiant goes, okay, well, what happened when you went back, when we got back into town? What happened when you went to the gas station? He said, the gas station owner told me he don't know who I threw my keys to. The jabroni stole the Sheiky's car. <laughs> True freaking story. It is rumored that Vince McMahon would bring the sheep back when morale was low in the locker room just because he was, you know, completely insane. But that story has <laughs> never been told to anyone. He threw it to just some customer and the kid was like, oh, oh the Iron Sheik's car, the plates are registered and we're off to the races. So, oh, funny. Oh, yeah. you, you bet. I'll clip that and put that on YouTube yeah, uh, got before to. the episode you got even to. comes out. <laughs> you, you, you got to. Oh, um, I had to get that out. I've been holding on to that for 20 years. That story. Oh, Johnny Valiant. Johnny Valiant told me that story in 1989. I have been holding on to that story since then. So anyway, I had to tell it. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. And that's it's I, I ironic. It's one of those things that always crosses my head to completely honest. So it's like, who am I giving my is this really a valet? Hello. Hello. <laughs> You know how many times I've thrown my keys and you were in a hurry. We got to catch a plane. We got dinner reservations. You, and you're just giving your keys to anybody. I I went. So. I I went. Slice of life. I went on a, I was taking a girl on a date. And this restaurant has like eight spots in the parking lot. But they have a valet. Right. And I'm like. Right. What? And so I pull in and I, I just want to park the car. But he's waving me over. I'm like, well, I don't want to look like I'm cheap. So I. You know, and it's the he literally takes my car, go, reverses it twelve feet into the spot I was in front of. Right, I'm done. And I'm like, can I get my keys? He's like, oh, I'll give them to you on, when yeah. you're on your way out. I'm like, and it's and it's fifteen dollars too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Pay at the front. Get your what a, get, what get, a, get, a, get your ticket validated. What a what gig. A scam. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, what John, a scam. Is there uh, is there any place? Uh, uh, obviously, you don't have links for the documentary or anything, but I do want you to tell me when it comes out because I want to watch it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but is there any place uh, that my listeners should go to find you or anything they should? Uh... Well, if, if you want to see the examination of the video on Facebook is my one, one of my research partners, Andrew Burlington, and it is called Victor Nevada. Um, and that's on Facebook. And that will show you all 
of the information and all of the nuances of the of the video. If you want to see the original documentary, look up 1997 Area 51 Alien Interview. Um, I know that's a long list, but I again, I don't have any YouTube channel to point and click and subscribe or monetize. So if you look up the 1997 um, Alien Area 51 Alien Interview, you'll see the whole one hour a feature and the victor who has the voice alteration. Um, I, I, I know who he is and I've talked to his children and I know where he worked. I know what he did. I know how he died. And it's, it's the coup de gras of the ufology world. I mean, unless somebody has got a Roswell alien and formaldehyde um, I'm on top of Everest right now. And I don't say that. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I, have and will always, uh, Joe, please listen to me. I have always complimented and give credit to everyone on my investigation team. There's six of us and all of the military, former intelligence officers and scientists and, and soldiers and UFO um, researchers that have, again, like Rudy Rudiger, have come around and helped John Stewart break and prove the biggest story 100% on the planet Earth. There's only two stories humans want to ask or questions. Where do I go when I die? And are we alone? And we have proved you're, we're not alone. And, and you don't not watch this video and start analyzing me. Start figuring out you're a new paradigm of we are not alone on this planet and haven't been for, for, for many thousands of years. Yeah. Well, John, you, you've uh, kicked me uh, down a rabbit hole that I will be going down for months. Uh <laughs> So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Sorry about probably that. many of my listeners. <laughs> uh, but John, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. And if anybody wants to email, if they have any, for, strictly if they have any information, um, any further more information to help us, um, because every time I do a podcast, somebody comes out of the woodwork with this tidbit and that tidbit. It is doing these shows has been so beneficial. So if you want to get a, a hold of Joe, if I, I will give you my e my hand out my email. My email is my name, J-O-N-A-L-A-N-S-T-E-W-A-R-T at AOL.com. Joe, if you want to put a you know, put it on the bottom of the video or whatever when you do production, that's great. But if anybody with just Anything related to the video, uh, don't ask me why I hit Sergeant Slaughter in the head with a chair in 1990 on ESPN, you know, but anything related <laughs> to this video. You? <laughs> yeah. You know, you go on radio shows and you're talking about politics and the producers like, so God, people are calling. They want to know, you know, why you split Baron <laughs> Von Raschke's head open. Are you really a spoiled brat? You know, all this kind of stuff. So, but yeah, if anybody wants, has any other information, any, any more leads, any other information we can get to add on to this, add on to this Sunday with a cherry on top, please feel free to get a hold of me. I'm very, very good about answering emails in a timely fashion. And I thank you for having me on your show. First of all, it's been a pleasure talking with you the whole week and I respect and appreciate your listeners and viewers. And, um, you know, I just want everyone to wish me luck that this, when this story breaks in the mainstream media, um, you know, Katie bar the door, this is, this is going to get interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck when that comes. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's, thank you. it's been a blast. Thanks, John. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. 
Uh, thank you, John, for coming on. Again, check out the YouTube video. Check out his links. Um, you know, interesting stuff. And uh, uh, I don't know. A lot of it seems to make sense to me, not only from guests I've spoken to in the past. Um, but, you know, uh, again, a lot of a lot of what I've kind of come to hypothesize from that seems like he said I was right. <laughs> I mean, on, on those things. Uh, and, and mainly again, that's stuff that I've, you know, from my gosh, almost two years of podcasting, uh, you know, most of them being comedians, but <laughs> you know, 2022 had a lot of, uh, paranormal and, and alien and, and, uh, astrophysicists and all the like. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like I, I have a decent understanding of some things and I feel like I was pretty much in line or John understood things the same way I did. Um, so again, I, I certainly, um, am in no place to disagree with a, a single thing. His investigation has yielded, obviously, you know, the truth is out there, folks. It's not up to me to find it. It's just up to me to interview people who maybe have found it or, or are still investigating into it. So, you know, maybe you'll see something on the news uh, and say, hey, I remember hearing this guy on the Jeff McAleno podcast. Uh, but thank you to John. Uh, very intrigued to continue really to follow his his story as I mean, it's it's not over yet. Um, so again, we'll, we'll keep tabs on John and, uh, definitely see, uh, you know, when, when there's more, we'll definitely talk to him again because he was, uh, again, I, I feel like I barely scratched the surface with him was, a was a great conversation. Um, I, I guess I'll talk about this in the postscript because I don't think most people listen to it. I did get an email from the director of Women Want Everything. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a private theatrical premiere coming in late March. Um, so not too far away, potentially, from seeing myself on the big screen for the first time. Uh, I'm not sure I can mentally prepare myself enough for that, but it will be interesting. And of course... I don't know what I'll do. I'll try to document the night. And then uh, I don't know how long after that before it actually is available uh, in streaming and stuff like that. Um, but regardless, the, the premiere uh, will be an exciting uh, event for me. And uh, outside, after the rap party, I have not seen a lot of the... Uh, I don't actually... I haven't seen any... Uh, other than Anne Louise, I've not seen anybody uh, associated with the movie since the rap party. Uh, uh, you know, maybe a couple texts, a couple emails, but that's it. Uh, so excited to see everyone I worked with uh, so closely for, uh, I don't know, two months on this uh, feature film. And uh, yeah, excited to see the end result. I'm very excited. And uh, I did I did hear from Rod Grant, the director, that I did not ruin the movie. So that's a that's a whew, weight off my shoulders, uh, or at least in his opinion. And his opinion is the one that counts the most. So you can keep yours to yourself if you disagree. Um, hey, everyone, make sure you're following me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you're not, rate me on Apple, 
Spotify, and IMDb, I would appreciate it as well. Uh, and you can rate every episode on IMDb. I do appreciate all the ratings I've been getting on Apple and on Spotify. I hope you like my new outro music. Uh, you know, I may add or uh, not subtract, but uh, I may add to it with a... I, 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 I put it together very quickly uh, with a few sound bites that just popped into my head immediately as this works perfectly. Um, going through you on here. Uh, but also, I, um, I'm changing the topic again. Also, <laughs> kind of like my daughter here having a conversation with her. Uh, follow me on those socials because uh, I will have a new daily show starting soon that I am co-hosting. Um. The YouTube channel for that just changed, so luckily I haven't pushed out the old one. The name of the show's changed. So once we start rolling, you'll be hearing me talk about that on here, and I'll, of course, link it in the show notes. Um, actually, John would be a great guest for that show, too, for the for that live show, uh, to talk about this stuff and uh, get the, the, the host of that show to uh, chime in. Sorry, alarm on my phone. Um, all right. Boom. It's over. See you next week. Thanks for listening. It was amazing. <laughs> I I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You want to just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yep. See you next week. Thank you.